0: The Money Bites podcast is general in nature. That means despite the magic of podcast sound waves, we aren't able to look at your individual circumstances. If you want individualised financial advice to suit your needs, you'll need to book in with a licensed financial professional. In fact, we'd love it if you did. Any media clips have been clipped out the public domain under the Fair Use and Fair Dealing guidelines. Money talks. Money walks. Money climbs.
1: Money for money six, money five, five, oh, Money Bites.
0: Welcome to an episode of Money and Pop Culture by Money Bites, the podcast that makes money bite-sized. In this pop culture show, we delve into the media archive to show you what you can learn about money from the TV shows, songs, and films you love. Yes, that's right, you're going to be entertained while learning about money. Today's episode focuses on what we can learn about money from one of my favorite TV shows. That's right, it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Now let's delve into the episode where Detective Jake Peralta is having his annual performance evaluation with his boss, Captain Holt. Roll the tape. Seriously, he's begun taking his job.
1: Nope, I just wanna get this over with. So I have 72 arrests and 80% clearance rate, but most importantly, I wore a tie sometimes. Now I have a question for you. Is there any way I can borrow $430,000? Why on earth do you need that much money? I need to buy my apartment. I've been living at my Nana's place since she passed away because it's rent controlled, but now the building's going co-op, so I have to buy it. I need to secure a loan by the end of the day. Uh, So should we do a wire transfer or do you think cash is easier? Let's just do cash.
0: Now this is Jake's annual performance review, which is actually a great time to ask for a raise if you've got one coming up because you're able to show how you've delivered value. And to give Jake his credit here, he comes prepared with facts and figures about his performance. So full credit for coming prepared with data to back up your argument. However, asking your boss for $430,000 is not appropriate for this conversation, or really ever. Also, we know Captain Holt. It's unlikely that he would have half a million dollars in cash because that's not an efficient use of those funds. If you build in inflation, it's essentially a loss over the long term. Captain Holt is nothing but efficient. He would likely have it invested in the market or in his very nice Brooklyn townhouse, which we see later in the same series. So the whole premise behind this episode is that Jake's building is going co-op. That essentially means he was previously renting and now he's going to have to buy into a property. And if you're not sure what co-op means, it tends to come up quite a bit, particularly in American TV shows. The difference is when you buy a condo or an apartment or flat, as you might call it, you own that specific home or unit within a building. That's your property. Cooperative housing or a co-op is where you buy in to become a part owner of the entire piece of property. So not just your single apartment, but the entire building. And it's a little bit different because you're a shareholder joining a co-op board. They're taking a chance on you when you join the board. So they're a little bit more wary about things like your finances. And Jake, if he's gonna buy in, needs to be very aware of the fact they are gonna probe his finances quite heavily. Given he doesn't have enough money to buy into the co-op, I'm guessing something's up with Jake's finances. Let's have a quick look.
2: Shouldn't you be asking somebody else for that kind of money, like a bank?
1: Yeah. I tried that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was really surprised by this. Jake's job should make him a good candidate for a mortgage or a loan from a bank. And I'm not just saying that. I did some research and I went onto the NYPD website and this is in January 2021. And I had a quick look and this is in US dollars. The starting salary for a police officer is $42,500. And after five and a half years, that raises up to $85,222. So that's not a bad increase and given Jake is a detective he's been in the job for at least a few years. And when you build in things like holiday pay, uniform allowance, overtime, as a police detective he's potentially earning over $100,000 a year and he's in an essential service profession which means unless he does something significantly wrong he's unlikely to lose his job. So let's have a think about that from a bank's perspective. Good salary, steady job, income is pretty stable There must be more to that story besides his income, because why wouldn't you consider him for a loan? Okay, there's definitely something up with his whole financial situation here. I'm keen to learn more.
2: Jake, I cannot believe you're going to lose Nana's apartment. We grew up together. We used to hang out there every day after school.
1: That's right, because there was no one to look after us, because our moms both worked, and we didn't have fathers because divorce.
2: Geraldo, I will not give you a cool half mil because you had a slightly sad childhood. Go solve your housing crisis.
0: Yeah, so playing the sympathy card might work if you're trying to get something small like a coffee, but it really depends on who you're asking. Captain Holt is unlikely to even buy you a coffee unless you can show that you need it. Also, it's so inappropriate to ask your boss for money. I'm going to underscore that again. If you are listening to this and you are genuinely hard up for cash... Unless you work for a small business where you're directly reporting to the owner, you should ask the HR department what it offers in terms of advanced payment options if you are in financial difficulty. That is, however, unlikely to be in the region of half a million dollars. It is always so crazy coming back here. Remember when Nana
2: got cable? We watched House Party 2 so many times.
1: It was a pajama jammy jam. We had no choice.
2: Our hands were tied.
1: I gotta say, I'm psyched to be hanging like this old school styles, styles with a Z.
2: Oh, I could tell. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, maybe we can figure out a way for you to afford this place.
0: Where's all your bank statements?
1: Up, up, before we get all financial, can I interest you in an ice-cold fowdy?
0: I. Now, Gina is a very good friend. She's Jake's best childhood friend, as well as being related to him. And anyone who's willing to give up their free time to go through your bank statements of all things, that's a good friend right there, particularly if they have nothing to gain from doing so. And Jake's personality really gives him away here. Jake is really avoidant when it comes to money issues. He suggests they have a child drink rather than actually tackling the bank statements, distracting Gina from her task. Let's hope they actually get to it.
1: So talk to me, Goose. How are we looking?
2: Sexy, but not like we're trying too hard. Like, sure, we're trying, but it's almost effortless.
1: Yeah, no, I knew all of that. I meant the money thing.
2: Oh, My first impression is that you have a debilitating spending problem. Mm -hmm. Jake, you have six massage shares.
1: Well, they don't make a massage couch.
2: Okay, but you also have three turntables.
1: Ooh, yeah, I'm learning how to spin.
2: Okay, you also purchased Olympus Has Fallen on demand 12 times. Was it a difficult movie for you to follow?
1: Nope,
0: just watched it a lot. Okay, so my earlier suspicions are slightly confirmed when we were talking about Jake's whole financial picture He's making some terrible spending choices. Let's go through some of them as examples. Quite clearly, Jake does not need three turntables unless he's a professional musician and making bank from it. And even if he's learning, he should just have one turntable to practice on. Otherwise, it's a very expensive hobby. He's also got six massage chairs and he makes the point that he wants a massage couch. A massage couch would be three chairs. He does not need six. He could make do with one or two and sell the rest. The last example I'm going to talk through is purchasing a film on demand. I think a few people are guilty of doing it once or twice. Buying a film 12 times, that's very illogical. And if you are going to buy your favorite film, buy it once if you know you're going to watch it again. Don't repeatedly buy it because you know that you're charging yourself for something that you could have bought much cheaper if you just bought it once. So this spending is not logical. And if you are feeling bad listening to this, and when I say feeling bad, you're thinking through some of your own examples of spending you're not comfortable with, go through your own bank statements if you're willing to ask some questions about, is the spending making me feel good? Is it something I want to continue with? Let's see how Jake manages this situation.
1: So hit me. How much do I have to cut back in order to keep this place?
2: Infinity percent. Technically speaking, you're bankrupt, kiddo
1: that sounds bad
2: it is bad i only said kiddo to soften the blow kiddo
0: okay so jake does say that he's open to cutting back his spending which is good however he is bankrupt and what we mean by bankrupt is he has a negative net worth now if you've always wondered what that is your net worth is essentially the figure you get when you add up everything you own from the value of your home to the cash in the bank account and then you minus the value of all your debt so that might be if you have a student loan maybe a personal loan, a mortgage, or even credit card balances. So in short, if you're listening to this, you add up what you own and discount what you owe. And that gives you your net worth. So why is this important? Well, your net worth tells me your current financial position, and it really quantifies it as a number rather than good or bad, which is really subjective. And in Jake's case, he has more liabilities than assets, or he owes more than he owns. In short, He is bankrupt. And it's really nice of Gina to soften the blow by saying kiddo while telling him he's essentially in debt. I'm wondering how he's gonna get out of this.
1: This is so unfair. I've lived in this building 15 years and then all of a sudden they decide they're going co-op with zero warning.
0: It seems illegal they didn't tell you this was
2: happening.
1: Well, it's possible I missed a letter, but I doubt it. Ooh, let's check the mail tub.
2: Mail tub?
1: Nope, no, no. See, it's impossible to find anything in here. It's not my fault.
2: It's actually a cool little bathroom. Nice clawfoot tub,
1: which I will never throw my mail into again, unless I didn't want to do this, but I do know one way we could get the money. This guy, I know Frank. He's kind of skeevy, but he will loan money to anybody.
0: It would be illegal to not inform Jake that he needed to buy the building or vacate. But it's also up to Jake to be attentive to his communication methods like letters or phone calls. It's up to him to pick those up. And recognize when someone is actively getting in touch with him. Now Gina asked him if he's received any mail. Jake's filing system hurts me. Jake's filing system is throwing his mail into his bathtub. The mail tub, which is full the mail tub, which is full to the brim of unopened mail. And you can kind of say when and you can kind of see when he says it's not my fault, he is not taking responsibility for this. And it's so easy to make this choice that And it's so easy to make these choices of going, I'll open the mail later, I'll do that later, and all of a sudden you have a bathtub filled with mail that you don't even use anymore. Now, Jake's way of getting around this is not to open the rest of his mail, which sits there as we leave the scene. It's to go to a guy he knows who gives out loans to anyone. Oh dear. How much interest do you charge?
1: Look, I'm not a bank. It's my own personal money. So I take a larger vig. Twenty points. Vig, so cool. Well, I don't need much. Just like four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Nah, too much. I make small loans to desperate losers, and friends like you. Well,
2: I'm happy this went terribly. Uh, we do have to go now, so please excuse us.
1: Wait, I just need enough to show the co-op board I can make a down payment at the bank. How about twenty thousand dollars? Two bags of ziddy That I can do. Bags of ZD. come on Gina, how awesome is that? Get on board! Come on Gina, get on board. Jake,
2: he is a sea witch in disguise, do not sing into his shell. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Oh, little mermaid, what have you done?
0: Ding, 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 it's a loan shark, and that is the most positive thing you will hear me say about them. A loan shark is an option for Jake despite him being a police officer, and that concerns me because a loan shark is not a legally sound option. The loan shark described himself best when he said, I make small loans to desperate losers and friends like you. He clearly doesn't respect his clients. Loan sharks often provide money to people who are desperate and charge huge interest amounts as a result of giving them that money in the first place. It's often money obtained by illegal means, which is why he uses slang to cut around the fact that this is an illegal activity and Jake is loving it. Jake is really going in for the 20 zig and ziddy He's clearly loving the experience and you just go, Jake, come on, this is so illegal. You just want to wake him up from his immaturity. It's crazy. Now, Gina, thankfully, is there. Gina asks the loan shark how much interest he charges. Good question. However, the loan shark can't answer that question clearly. And I've seen a few things that try and compare the rates between loan sharks and normal banks. Let's make it really clear now. You cannot compare the loan percentage accurately as the terms are very different. Let me make that clear, the terms are very different. If you default on a loan to a bank, the bank may call you up and try and work out a different repayment plan. The loan shark may take your legs. The repayment terms are very different. So how do we resolve this scene? Well, the loan shark can't give Jake the 430K he needs. So Jake instead takes 20K as proof he can pay the mortgage deposit. That's less than 10% of the purchase price. 20K is less than 10% of 430K. So he still needs a bank that's willing to loan him the rest. But what he's doing is illogical because as we remember, Jake already went to the bank to ask about a mortgage and they laughed at him in his face. I do want to say one thing to close this scene. Money Bites were really big on sustainability and consumer choices and making really active consumer choices. If you care about ethical money, don't ever go to a loan shark. It's unclear where that money comes from. It's likely from illegal sources that you likely don't agree with. So it's really worth bearing that in mind of in using loan sharks, you're continuing to provide them with an active market. Gina really warns Jake against using this loan shark, but he does it anyway. And again, really problematic because he's literally a cop and Gina likens him to the little mermaid taking a bad deal. Let's see where the little mermaid swims to next. Hey, Mr. Henders, the king of the lobby, Jake. The
1: co-op board meeting was an hour ago. I know. I am so sorry. It's just I've been pretty busy with police work, you know, with my police friends helping out non-police folks such as yourself, keeping you safe, police. We appreciate your service. And I appreciate you saying that. Look, I know there's been a lot of misconceptions about my financial situation, but I am ready to put that to rest right now. Boom goes the dynamite. Oh, my God. That's $20,000 right there, and I intend to use it as a down payment on a mortgage. Where did you get this money? Just had a line around. You've been an adequate tenant. Adequate. But we needed a completed application with a bank loan by today. With all due respect, sir, that's not fair. I mean, I didn't even know that the building was going co-op until last week. I got one letter. We left you 15 voicemails as well. Ah, Voicemails, well, that explains it. My generation, mostly texts.
0: Okay, so Jake's addressing the building manager. He gives him the cash up front as proof he can get a deposit. Now, he's clearly missed the meeting of the future co-op board where he could have asked what he needed to do and perhaps asked for better terms so that he could have an opportunity to buy in later. Now, the building manager is quite clearly freaked out by the rolls of $10,000 because it seems really dodgy because it is really dodgy. Now, what they actually needed from Jake was an application and a bank loan secured that day. The frustration with Jake in this episode is he hasn't done what they asked him to do. He's just run around trying to find a different solution. And what could have saved him all that time is to contact them directly and ask the question. The building manager also says that Jake is an adequate tenant. So not a great tenant, he's replaceable to them. And it's really important if you are in a city where the housing is competitive in terms of rentals and affordable rentals are really competitive to make that extra effort and be a great tenant to always pay your rent on time and to make an effort because it does mean that a landlord is much less likely to want you to move on because you're such a great tenant. It's interesting he ends this episode by saying you only sent me one letter, but 15 voicemails were not responded to. Okay, I get this. My generation texts too, and I don't like voicemails either. But if one person is trying to get in touch with you and it's someone like your landlord constantly trying to call you, it's likely important. So if they're leaving you that many voicemails, you do need to pick up your phone at some point in responding to requests like this, which are perfectly reasonable given the context that they actively tried to contact him to let him know.
1: I'm only 33. So We're in the same generation. I'm 31. 31. But I call you Mr. And you wear a suit and that. Did you just point at my bald spot? No. Look, we're putting the apartment on the market. We need to get it ready for brokers to show. We need you out by next Friday. Oh, next Friday's a little tough for me. Is there any way we can move it to the Sunday after eight years from next Friday? Based on your judgy eyes, I am going to take back my dynamite. Unboom. boom. You got a full head of hair. Nope. Okay.
0: Okay, he's pointed out the building manager's bald spot. That's pretty much the worst strategy to get someone on your side. It's interesting, too, how they reveal stereotypes about generations. You are allowed to wear suits as a young person. We don't all dress the same. And I know a dumb article comes out every few years calling millennials the worst generation and Gen Z the self-obsessed selfie generation. It's an interesting point the episode makes here. We're not all financially in the dark, and the building manager seems to actually have his stuff together. He's in a suit. He's called Mr. He is organized. Now, the building manager said they need Jake out by next Friday to show the apartment so that brokers can come in and see it to potentially offer it to the market. Now, they do like you need to give him more notice of eviction. And Jake would know that because the terms would be on his lease agreement, which is likely where? In his mail tub. That's right. If you take one thing away from this, please get organized. Because if anything does happen to you, documents like your lease agreement are really useful. And again, that last comment about his hair again. Too late and still not appropriate to comment on anyone's appearance, particularly if you need them on side.
2: Should we turn some lights on?
1: Trying to save electricity, Gina.
0: Your massage
2: chair is on.
1: Yeah, I'm poor,
2: I'm not a savage.
1: Man, what am I gonna do?
2: But what if I buy this apartment?
1: <laughs> what are you talking about?
2: And then I could rent it to you till you find a new place.
1: What? How could you afford this place? Have you been dealing drugs?
2: No, I'm thrifty. I cut my own hair. I walk to work. I eat Scully's lunch every day. I've rented the same crap box since I was 20 because it's so cheap. I've saved up money and I'm looking for a real estate opportunity.
0: So Gina at this point has also helped Jake look for another apartment and we looked at some terrifyingly bad options. If anyone's listening to this and you live in a major city like New York, London, Sydney, you know that some of the options for affordable rentals aren't great. And the episode included one that had a toilet in the middle of it and pigeons living in the ceiling loft. So it's understandable from looking at those options why he's so upset at losing his current good option. The massage chair logic on electricity shows that Jake clearly doesn't understand how electricity is priced so it's worth him looking into that. Gina makes a very kind offer here and it's useful to know that she's thrifty and I like that we're learning more about her and her financial options because it's so different to how we presume Gina is. She finds different ways to save money and there's actually some really good examples of this. Rent is one of your biggest outgoings. So Gina's strategy of living in a small place is really great because it means she's upfront saving a huge outgoing on her budget. For most people, it's a quarter of their budget, but that can also range for up to 40 to 50 percent. If you're living in a really expensive area and you're on a low income, it also has some additional benefits. You use less power to maintain the property. You have to buy less furniture to furnish the whole thing. And it really restricts you from just buying without thinking about it because your space for that extra stuff you may not notice is so limited. Now, the strategy of eating someone's lunch, that is not a great strategy because Scarlett's diet is frankly disgusting and means he has multiple health issues throughout the episodes we watch. Also, stealing food could find yourself in front of HR very quickly, so avoid that if you can. It's interesting how Gina represents her offering to buy the apartment as a real estate opportunity. How we talk about things and the language we use can make a huge impact, and given Jake is emotional right now, hauling his home a real estate opportunity may not be the best way to go. Let's see how he takes it.
1: Ew, a real estate opportunity? Are you being serious? We were drinking 40s this morning.
2: I'm saying I could give you a fair rent because I would be your landlady.
1: Whoa, whoa, you be my landlady? You're Gina. Your lifelong dream is to be on Wife Swap. You call Gum the dentist. You think Ray J is a national treasure.
2: Yeah, so what? I'm eclectic.
1: You're not better than me, okay? And I'm glad that I still own this place, because I can happily invite you to leave.
0: (laughs) Grow up, Jake. Grow up, Jake. So the frustration that Jake's expressing here is about his perceptions. He's perceived that Gina is of a similar age to him, and therefore must have a similar attitude about money. And I think a lot of young people have that assumption that they have time to be more financially free with their choices before they become an adult. The issue with that is when you're young, you can make huge strides in terms of you starting to invest in the market or in terms of you starting to build your retirement fund. Because if you think of those things like a hill, when you're at the very top of your hill, starting in your career, you have the greatest thing in front of you, which is time. Time is in front of you. And it's time to compound the money you have over 40 to 50 years so that you can really retire on more and actually put less in because you started earlier. The attitude of we can wait until we're adults also means that you can make choices that see you get into debt while you're young. And that has the opposite effect because you can be paying that debt off into your 30s and 40s and trying to get back to at least a positive net worth. So it's worth bearing in mind that the younger you start, the easier it will be later. And perceptions also mean that Jake sees Gina as fixed. Because of her choices like calling gum the dentist, she must therefore be irresponsible with money. She defines herself differently as eclectic, but he's made that assumption about her. And it's all about worth in terms of how he's feeling about himself. When he says, you're not better than me, that's what this is about. Money can be tied to our sense of self-worth. And Jake clearly takes Gina doing well as taking something away from him. Comparison is the thief of joy. And often when you have that arrangement of seeing someone's success as taking something away from you, that can be really damaging to your own self-esteem. So in short, this is not about Gina. This is about Jake, his assumptions and his relationship with money and how he's made assumptions other people have the same relationship only for that to suddenly be shattered. The comment I can invite you to leave because I still own this place, that's pure pettiness and emotional reaction. Gina being his landlady and offering him a fair rent is really kind because she could be getting more from someone else. So I don't think he's quite seeing that because he's reacting so emotionally. Oh, you okay?
1: Yep, just checking out my new bedroom. Oh, good. It feels like scoliosis and smells like 10 million butts. Take it your apartment thing didn't work out. When did everyone decide to become an adult? I mean, I know you were born in your 50s, but come on. Thanks. But get this. Gina just offered to buy Nana's apartment as a real estate opportunity and become my landlady. Jake. I know she was just trying to help, but we've known each other since we were kids, you know? I got her her job, which an ice cream cone could do, by the way. And now I find out she's been saving all these years? Jake. I know. The person that I'm really mad at is myself for screwing this whole thing up. I gotta talk to Gina. Thanks for your help, Amy.
0: Didn't say anything. Don't want credit in case it goes wrong.
1: Yeah, that's smart, given my track record.
0: Now at the start of this scene is pretty much the only time we hear from Amy. Amy asks Jake how it went and then she just says his name like a monologue for the rest of this scene. She doesn't want to provide him with advice and she ensures at the end she isn't credited with giving him advice in case it goes wrong which he says is fair given his history i.e his poor decision making. He starts the scene also by saying he's thinking of living in the break room at work This rarely happens in real life because most workplaces have cleaners that come in and will quickly notice behavior like that. But it does signify that Jake's feeling really low at the start of this episode. His phrase, when did everyone become an adult? I ask myself that all the time. When I see people getting rings on their fingers or buying multiple properties on social media, having a few babies, it's weird. You compare yourself and you feel like you're being left behind. And Jake acknowledges that Gina was trying to help But it's just weird for him because he's known her for so long. Again, it's that fixed idea of her. And the fact that he got her the administrative job as Holt's assistant. And he sees her saving money all these years. It's kind of like a betrayal of him. Because it's so different to how he previously saw her. I like that he acknowledges at the end of this episode that it's not about Gina. It's that he's angry with himself for screwing up. And there's a few ways he's done that in terms of his money. It's in terms of him being an adequate but not a great tenant in holding all his correspondence in a mail tub, in being rude to the building manager who could have helped him out, and in not asking what he needed to do and being on top of his responsibilities in order to stay in his building. In short, Jake needs to get organized. And he recognizes that he needs to make things right with Gina.
2: What do you want, Jake? I'm watching Oprah's Legends Ball, which is what I do every time a close friend hurts my feelings.
1: I came here to apologize. Look, I was mad at you for being more together than me, and that's not fair. I felt stupid, so I acted out. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, you were stupid, and you should be sorry, Jake. But watching Oprah have brunch with her strong woman friends has taught me that it's okay to forgive.
1: Great. Also, you should buy Nana's place. Not for me. You should live there. You love that apartment, and you said so yourself. It's a great investment.
2: Where are you going to live?
1: Here. I'll sublet from you. I actually ran the numbers. i keep paying the same amount of rent and you would turn a small profit. It's a starter apartment and it's my fault for starting when I'm
0: 33. (laughs) You have a deal. Jake admits he was wrong and he felt stupid and acted out. And that's very self-aware for Jake because until now, he's behaved like a child. And it's because Gina is more together than him and he feels like he should be more together. That's why he's angry. And we do see a glimpse into how Gina might be as a landlady. She only forgives him because Oprah had brunch on TV. She's not necessarily the most logical decision maker either. This could be a very interesting landlady relationship. Now, I am so proud of Jake in this scene as well, because he said that Gina should live in Nana's place, which is a step up from her current studio. And he ran the numbers. Yes, like he did at the start of the episode, he's done his homework before coming to her. That is a really good strength. He showed it at the start of the episode in terms of his professional life and now he is applying it to his personal life and that is awesome. He works out that if he paid the same amount of rent on Gina's place instead, Gina would turn a small profit from subletting the apartment to him. That is a really good way to phrase a decision because it's much more likely to have someone agree with you if you can show that you've done the legwork and the numbers add up for them. And he ends the scene by saying it's a starter apartment because it's his fault for starting at 33. I actually really like how he phrases that because it's an opportunity rather than a punishment. He could save money from this arrangement because it's less room for him to fill it with stuff. It's a studio and it means he can sell some of his six massage chairs and turntables. He'll save money on electricity and power. And he's automatically restricted in his spending because of the limited space he has available. So this is a really good way to end the episode because we see Gina in a better financial position as someone who's buying into a co-op or buying into a property and Jake as someone who's about to start saving potentially for the first time. Now, what did we learn? Here's what we learned about money from watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Number one, get organized. Organise your mail and ensure you're across your correspondence so that you don't miss anything. A mail tub is not a way of doing that. Get a filing system in place that means you can find things when you need it. And speaking of organised, get an emergency fund so that you can respond for the things you can't plan for in life, like needing accommodation at the last minute because your living situation changes. Number two, know your credit score. A credit score is not the be-all and end-all, but if you want to get a bank loan in the future, you need to demonstrate you're a good person to loan money to. So a credit score can be a really good way to define that, as well as being more familiar with what's happening in your finances, including your net worth. A loan shark, however, is never an option. They're dodgy as hell, and you'll end up owing so much more over the life of the loan, and you're participating in an illegal activity. And thirdly, talk about money with your friends. Your friend's financial situation may surprise you and talking about it in a positive way means you have the opportunity to learn from each other. Ask if you're curious and make sure it's someone who you have a trusting relationship with so that you already feel comfortable around them, particularly given this might be a sensitive topic. And remember, it's about what you can learn from them in terms of Gina, for example, being an amazing saver. Don't compare yourself but rather see what you can learn from each other and those are our takeaways about money from brooklyn 99 the following program is rated g g for general the financial information in this podcast is general guidance only you should consider this guidance further in the context of your own financial situation and needs. to get financial advice that is tailored to your circumstances you'll need to lock in an appointment with a professional for individualized financial advice in fact we'd be stoked if you did any media clips have been clipped out the public domain under the Fair Use and Fair Dealing guidelines. You've been listening to an episode of Money and Pop Culture by Money Bites. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome having you. If you've liked what you heard, we'd love your support in spreading the word by sharing the podcast with those you love and writing us a review while you're here. If you want to hear more from us, head online to moneybytes.com and let us know what TV shows or films you'd like us to talk about next. For updates on your social media feed, follow us on social media at Money Bytes. You can also subscribe for episode updates on this platform to ensure you never miss an episode. It's absolutely free, and it will be the best investment that you can make. Stay tuned for more bite-sized chat about money, right here on Money <laughs>